as many of you know, I, I, I've taken up golf, and I've been reading a lot about it. And one of my favorite stories that I have found is uh, about a guy named Jack Grout. Jack Grout was Jack Nicholas's golf instructor, his coach. And every, every spring, not once or in a while, every single spring, uh, even after he'd won 10 majors, after he was clearly the greatest golfer in the world, the greatest golfer to ever play the game probably, he would go every spring down to Mr. Grout's uh, little training area, and he would say, Mr. Grout, would you teach me how to play golf? And f- starting with the stance and the grip, Jack Grout would take Jack Nicholas, the greatest of all time, through every step of the golf swing. Why did he do that? Because Jack Nicholas knew that to be the greatest golfer, he didn't need to come up with a swing that nobody had done before. He needed to do the golf swing better than anybody else was doing it. Uh, he did it because, uh, well, in Michael Boyd's words, he tries to teach me how to do a golf swing, and I say, Michael, this feels awkward. It doesn't feel natural. And he says, Ricky, that's because what's natural to you is a terrible golf swing. You can know that you're doing the wrong thing two ways. One, if it feels normal, it's wrong. And two, if the ball goes out of bounds, it's wrong. So trust me. Now, why do I say that? I say that because uh, the Apostle Paul takes us back to the most basic of Christian doctrines today to tell us that you've got to get the basics right. And you have to do that every day. You have to restart in that spot, and it doesn't come natural to you. He asks us the, the rhetorical question, having begun by the Spirit, are you now trying to be perfected by your own effort? And the answer to that question, when we're honest, is yes. Every morning, I try to perfect myself by my own effort. And Paul is looking at us going, I know that feels natural because it's wrong. It's wrong to live by your own effort. It's wrong to to seek to please God by your works today because there is no faith in that. You see, if you had faith, you would know God's already pleased. You're not trying to win his smile. He's already smiling. You're not trying to win his approval. He's already approving. And that's that's true of all of us. I I learned this lesson in a very dramatic way last spring, right? I I learned it. I was on a little prayer retreat. And uh, the first thing I do when I go on little prayer retreats is I avoid prayer at all costs. So I get settled into my cabin that I'm going to stay in for a couple of days. I go to the grocery store, get my groceries check to see if I have any possible thing I can do on my phone, set my books out, set my clothes out. All right, well, there's nothing else for me to do. Okay, I guess I have to pray. So I'll go from, I know, I'll I'll drive out to the lake because I'll be able to pray better there. So I get to avoid it 15 more minutes, drive out to the lake, start my walk around the lake. I can no longer avoid prayer. Oh, God. And overwhelmingly, I, I, I felt, I heard whatever words you're comfortable with, the Lord say to me, Ricky, why do you think you have to be sad for me to hear you? 
What's the answer to that question? I was trying to earn God's ear. I'm trying to earn his, his desire to hear my prayers by, by me feeling bad enough. Not believing, not, not wearing the righteousness of Christ. And, and over, our, the overwhelming misconception of our religion is that through Jesus you've been forgiven for all your sins, bringing you back to zero, but from here on out it's up to you. Try harder. Try harder. And at best, the best thing that could have possibly happened, most of us believe this at one point or another, the best thing that could have possibly happened to us is if we had died at our conversion. If you had died right after your conversion, like Jesus liked you then, right? But every day since you were converted, you've fallen a little further and a little further and a little further away. And, and then every now and then you kind of recommit your faith, right? We're going to rededicate ourselves. And it's just not true. And I'm going to every effort I can possibly go to, even to the point of doing a, a stupid skit, to try to drill into your minds some way that we live in the righteousness of Christ. And every morning we need to remind ourselves that we're not going to live by our efforts today. We're not going to please God with our efforts today. We're going to live our day in the righteousness of Christ. Every time we feel guilt slipping up, we're going to say, the Lord rebuke you. I am not guilty. I'm in Jesus. We're going to live that way. We're going to live confidently and joyfully. We're going to rest and receive Jesus' works. Every day we're going to live with our identity in Christ, not in our identity and our performance. Every day we're going to trust God and not try to earn his approval because we've already got it. Every day we have to make the conscious choice to live out of who we are in Christ instead of trying to perfect ourselves through our own effort. So please stand as the Apostle Paul reminds us of that by taking us once again over the basics, the basics of the golf swing, the thing to not forget. This is probably along with uh, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, the, the clearest explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. So hear the word of the Lord. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith.
Thus far the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. Every day we have to make this conscious effort that I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live out of who Christ says I am. I'm not going to try to perfect myself by my own efforts. And the Apostle Paul takes us back to the very core truth of Christianity to, to explain this to us, explain why we have to do that. And he, he says, Cursed is everyone who lives by the law because he who does them must live by them. Must live by them. Why is the law cursed? Why, are the, why is it a curse to try to live by the law? First of all, it's a curse because you never get out from under it. You never get out from under it. If you're trying to, to prove yourself by the law, the best the law can possibly say to you is, you did your job today. Today, you did your job. That's it. Tomorrow, better not do it wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a task that can never be completed. It's like, uh, like we hired Kurt this year to take care of the grounds. And if you could have seen the grove on Thursday you would have thought, perfection. Not a single leaf in it. If you saw it today, you would have thought, man, Kurt didn't do anything this weekend, did he? Right? The best you can possibly do is get it clean today. You know that. Anybody's ever tried to clean a house? You know, Bianca, uh, my, my wife got the kitchen floor so clean, and then I brought Gladys home to keep her for two weeks, and it, today you would think it's never been mopped. It's a Sisyphean task. You can't ever get it done. You can only do it for today. It's keeping the law. It's a pretty simple law. God just says two things. He says, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. Just love me completely. Depend upon me. Let me fill you and love all my other children. That's all you have to do. Just do those two things. And so we, we try but the very second we begin to try, we're trusting ourselves, not trusting him. So we break the law at the very first breath. But we don't know we do, and we go through our day, and, and we, see, we see the man on the side of the road in his car, and, and we don't just drive by and say a prayer for him. We stop, and we ask him how we can help, and we take him to a mechanic, and we see another man asking for money on the corner, and we don't give him money. We, we give him a ride down to John 3.16, and we help him to find where he can be fed and, and talk to him about getting an occupation. By the time we get to work, we're already three hours late because we've been helping so many people, and, and every time we start to do our job, we... Somebody, we notice someone else who's struggling, so we stand up and go help them. And, and then we have to stay late to do our job. And we come home, and we, we love on our children, and we, 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 we teach them the Bible, and we put them to bed, and we bless our spouses. And we go to sleep, and we hear those precious words of God say, in the paraphrase of the Princess Bride, You did good work today, Wesley. Tomorrow I'll probably kill you. You, you did your job today. Good for you. You did what you were supposed to do today. You can never get ahead. You live under the curse. Well, why is it a curse? That sounds harsh. Why is the law a curse? Well, what, what is the curse? When we hear, think of the word curse, we think of terrible movies. 
you know, curse of the mummy, curse of Dracula, living, basically a curse means living under bad luck, we think, right? Um, I, yeah, I, what, what is the curse? The curse is living separated from God. The law of God is, is a covenant. It's a relationship. And all relationships have laws, rules that you cannot break. And if you break those rules, you've broken the relationship, right? I mean, you can imagine a, a husband and wife sitting together, or a, a young couple. They just started dating. They love each other. They're, they're passionate about each other, right? Uh, they, they, they feel strongly for each other, and they decided they're going to get married. And so they decide to talk things out. And the, and the woman says, there's just a few things you need to know about me. And the man says, good, there's a few things you need to know about me too. And the woman says, I, I hate alcohol. Everybody in my family is an alcoholic, and, and I just I can't, the, the smell of the stuff makes me nauseous. And if we're going to be married, you need to know there's not going to be any alcohol in the house. And the man says, it's great that you feel that way. I'm going to have two old fashions every night. That's my tradition, and I'm not going to change it. And the man says, you need to know this about me. I'm deathly allergic to cats. The, the, the smell of one cat hair makes my face swell up. My eyes swell up to the point that they're closed. Sometimes I have to go to the hospital for a shot just being in the presence of a cat. And the woman says, oh, thank you for sharing your heart. I have ten cats, and they're coming with me. And then they say, okay, well, it's good that we had this talk. You ready to get down to business about being married? And we would say, well, no, you, this marriage won't work. It's impossible for it to work relationships have implicit rules and you know them. And if you don't know them, that's probably why you're having trouble with relationships. And God says, all you have to do is love me and love my children. And we say, that's just too much. And if you're not going to do that, you're, you're, if you're not going to depend upon me, if you're not going to worship me, if you insist on continuing to worship yourself and try to earn approval, trying to live your life to, to earn my acceptance, to earn acceptance from others, you're just going to be separate from me. You're not going to experience my smile. You won't experience my face because you're turning away from me. And Jesus, what he did when, when Paul says he became a curse, Jesus bore that curse for us. He did more than just bear it. He became the curse. He, he became sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5. He became the opposite of, of who God was, and he experienced that to the fullest. And it's hard for us kind of to understand the, the depth of the weight of what Jesus went through. And the best way to describe it really is, well, what we all know is this. It hurts more to be betrayed, to be abandoned by someone you know than it does to be abandoned by someone you don't know. You wouldn't even know if someone you didn't know abandoned you, right? Someone who's close to you, who knows you. When a, when a good friend abandons you for someone else, when a spouse abandons you for someone else, when a parent abandons you for completely, the, the more intimate the relationship, the worse it hurts. Jesus, God, God the Son and God the Father, had for all eternity 
been in the midst of a passionate, loving relationship of infinite intimacy. Uh, They were so closely bound up that there was no clear line where one ended and the other began. They were so closely bound up that, that Jesus says in John 17, I was in you and you in me and us in each other. And at the cross, they were rent apart. When, when Jesus first started experiencing that on, on the day uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he started praying to God and God didn't answer, the pain of that, for the first time in all eternity, he's calling out to his Father, and his Father is not answering. And the only thing that he complained about on the cross, he didn't scream out, my hands, my hands, they really hurt. He had nails in them. He didn't scream out, my side. That hurt when you stuck me. But he screamed out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became the curse for us. That's what Christ did for us. So that we never have to experience that abandonment. And that work is, is, is for us, but it's also upon us. Jesus' work is upon us. It's, it's, it's given to us. It, it, it's put upon us. It means, what does that mean? It means that all the, the righteousness, all the, um, the, the per, he, he, what does Paul say? He says the, the, uh, we're given the blessing of Abraham. What's the blessing of Abraham? The righteousness of God. Abraham believes God, and it's accounted to him. It's imputed to him. It's put upon him as righteousness. When you hear the word righteousness, think everything's right. Everything's right between you and God. That, that perfect obedience that Jesus displayed to go to the tree, to hang from the tree, that's, that's put upon us. Now, that sounds weird. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound weird to... To live in someone else's righteousness, doesn't that sound awkward? I would say probably 80% of you experienced that yesterday. Okay? Um, If you cheered for a football team, how many of you cheered for a football team yesterday? Come on, raise your hand. This is Oklahoma. It's more than that. Okay? Why did you cheer for them? Right? I I I have a friend whose uh, son was was a Drew Brees fan. And when Drew Brees finally got the record for the most passing yards of any quarterback, he broke down into tears, weeping. And his, his dad said, son, what is it? He goes, he got it, dad. He got it. Why did he do that? Why do some of you talk about Baker Mayfield like your friends? You call him by first name. Why, why do some of you talk about Barry Sanders like he's your uncle? Barry, man, I just can't, I have so many good memories of Barry. Barry doesn't know you. You're not on a first name basis with Barry. You love him because he wore your jersey. You gave him, you you imputed him with righteousness. If Barry Sanders had played for Oklahoma, you would have hated him. If Baker Mayfield had played for Texas, you would have hated him. But he wore your uniform. And you look upon him as, as one of your guys. And that's what, how God looks upon us. He sees us in Christ. We're one of his guys. And he loves us because we're one of his guys. And we live out of that. 
we, we live with the confidence that He adores us. And with that confidence that He adores us, we're enabled to step away from sin. With that confidence that He adores us, we're enabled to, to look at ourselves and go, that's not me. With that confidence that He adores us, we don't feel guilt. We don't struggle with, with um, imperfection. We don't struggle with those feelings of inadequacy or failure. And when we do... We have something to remind ourselves of. I'm in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. And I'm, and I'm complete. And I was exactly the mommy that Jesus wanted me to be today. And I can trust him. I can trust him. That's Christ's work for us. Christ's work upon us. And finally, we see Christ's work in us. What does it say? so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. What's that promised Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit who comes into us, and He renovates us. And we can trust Him that He's actually working. Um, a few weeks ago, the illustration I used was, I remember I pointed your attention to the screen in this picture and they're not driving off the edge of the cliff. They're, they're going to stay on the road. And, and I said, you know, when you're looking at this, you're actually looking at a white screen. I, pr- trust me, I, I've been here when the projector was off. It's white. Um, but you don't see a white screen, do you? You see a picture. And that's the way God looks upon us. When he looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees Christ projected upon us. Now, but I didn't go to the next step. The next step is this. The Holy Spirit is coming in every day. And he's got his little palette of paints. And he's actually painting the screen throughout our life. So that as we live, we're actually taking on the appearance of Christ. Right? That, that great promise in Romans 8 that everybody likes to claim half of. Right? All things work together for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop! <laughs> that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. The Holy Spirit is painting the image of His Son on us. He's using the, the pressures of life, the struggles of life to make us look like Jesus. How does that work? It works through His Word sometimes. Right? You read the Bible... And you go, oh my gosh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I haven't experienced joy in 10 years. I thought the fruit of the Spirit was grumpiness. There's something wrong. And you, you're convicted, and the, the Spirit works through you. you it, it works through relationships. When, when people look at you and go, you know, Ricky, you feel like the only way the world's going to go right is if you control every detail and every action by every person you ever come in contact with. You live your life believing that if everybody would just do what you tell them to do, life would go better. And I'm like, duh. Isn't that true? No. Because you're not God. He, he, he uses our friends. He uses our struggles. You know, those, those crazy insane words of James chapter 1 when we're honestly pretty convinced that he must not he must have been intoxicated writing them right he says count it all joy my brothers when you fall into various trials and we're like no that's the definition of trial 
opposite of joy. Look it up. And he says, because God is working through them to produce steadfastness in you, and that steadfastness is there to create, to complete the work, to bring you to completion in Christ. Holy Spirit's using my struggles. He's using his word. He's using my my friends. He's using every single thing. He uses everything about me to make me look like Jesus. That's his job. That's what he's doing in me. And the more I, I trust him, the more I love him, the more I begin to see it in action. It hurts. You know, if you've ever tried to renovate something, we had a house, only only house I've ever been in that I loved was our first one. And then I was like, I'm not working that hard again. Uh, you know, but we refinished the floors, we ripped off wallpaper, we painted, we knocked holes in walls. Now, if that house was alive, it would say, stop doing that. It hurts. And we'd say, I'm, I'm making you into a house that's worthy. And the Holy Spirit looks at us and says, I'm making you into something worthy. I'm conforming you into the image of Jesus. You can trust me. And so the question is, do you live by trust or do you live by effort? Are you going to put on Jesus today? Are you going to live your life with the awareness that God is smiling upon you today? Or are you going to struggle and strain and you know, say those famous words that every two-year-old has said at one time or another. Let me do it. Me do it. I know that feels natural to you because it's wrong. It's wrong. If it leads to guilt, if it leads to a feeling of failure at the end of the day, if it leads to shame, it's because you were doing it wrong. The right golf swing doesn't leave your ball out of bounds by 200 yards. If it felt natural, it's probably wrong. Trust Jesus. Live out of who you are in Jesus. Please pray with me. Father, it is so easy and it is so hard. We don't even know what it means to live out of Jesus and out of who we are in Jesus. Would you please get through to our hearts? that you are delighted with us, that you smile upon us. Would you show us what it means to live out of that smile, live out of that identity, instead of constantly trying to earn it again and again. We pray these things in the precious, perfect, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.